Praise God, everybody. It's great to be with you today on this Sunday morning. As I was in prayer this morning, God impressed my heart that we must have a revival of two things. There must be a revival of restoration, and there must be a revival of healing. We need to pray for these two things that God would restore to the church like never before. Folks who need to be restored and folks who need to be healed. Would you lift your voices with me right now? Would you pray that God would send a revival of restoration and healing? Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray for a revival of restoration that all the prodigal sons and daughters can find their way home before it's too late. <clears throat> Lord, that they would be able to find the lighthouse. Lord Jesus, then make their way home before you're coming. And now, Lord, we also pray for revival of healing for your people and so that the world may know that there is a God in Israel who hears and answers prayer a God in the church that hears and answers prayer. I give you praise for these two things. Father, I pray for Andrea McCreary this morning. I pray, Lord God, for her complete healing. I pray for Lucille Carter this morning, oh God, for her healing, oh God, complete healing. I pray for Sister Carol Ferris, oh God, for her complete and total healing. And I pray for Brother Dan Fortin for his complete and total healing. Father, I know we've already prayed, but I come again, Lord, in the name of Jesus, asking, believing, praising. Hallelujah. <clears throat> I'm so glad that you're here. Sister Samantha, I don't want to draw any attention to you, but you really got a good blessing last Sunday, didn't you? Thank you. I don't know if she decided to sit where it was safe away from pastor on this side because last time she over here next to pastor and pastor prayed for her and she got the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. <clears throat> I don't think that's why though. But uh, I'm, I was glad to see God filling her with the Holy Ghost. She's making remarkable progress in her walk with God. And, and then I was looking around and, and seeing some folks that I haven't got a chance to meet yet and so glad to have you. I believe Anthony, is that your name? Anthony, we're very happy to have you. <clears throat> yes, glad to have you. And this is Abby's first time also, I think, so we're very happy to have Abby with us. If there's somebody else here that's here for the first time, I haven't got a chance to get your name yet, but we're very, I see one right there. We're happy to have you. God bless you. Anybody else here for the first time today and you don't mind letting us know? Oh, there we go, right there. So happy to have you. God bless you. <clears throat> and are you a part of Sister Suzette's family, maybe? All right. Praise God. Well, we're blessed to have each and every one of you. Is this Kingsley's first time on a Sunday morning? I think this is Kingsley's first time to be in a Sunday morning service. Would Kingsley stand up, please, so we can acknowledge him? All right. It was the baby, not the woman, okay? Just, just so you know. All right, so praise God. I come this morning... You know, sometimes God just gives you an unusual message. A couple of Sundays ago, on a Sunday morning, I preached on the enemy called common. And I, I felt like it was something that was needed, very needy and needed to be heard. I come back today <clears throat> with a, a message preaching from a scripture I have never preached from before. 
and only doing it because the Holy Spirit of God moved upon me yesterday and impressed me that I was to preach from this scripture. So hope it all turns out good. And I'm glad that you're here this morning. Praise God. I, I, I'm going to ask the saints of God that are living for the Lord and serving the Lord to um, pray especially hard this week for a revival of restoration and healing. I felt that so strongly from the Lord. We don't want the enemy stealing God's people away. We need a restoration, and we don't want God's people sickly. We need a healing from God, a revival of the miraculous healing power. And I've seen God heal many, many times, I have no doubt. But today I'm going to a scripture that I don't recall ever having preached from. And I'm going to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 10, and I'm going to read three verses, but they will not be three verses in a row. There are going to be three separate verses in 1 Samuel, chapter 10. And thank you for your undivided attention for the next few moments, and I pray, O oh God, for a special anointing upon me and upon this people. 1 Samuel, chapter 10, verse 1. Then Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance? And then skipping down to verse 6, And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with them, and shalt be turned into another man. And then one more verse, verse 9. And it was so that when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all those signs came to pass that day. And I'm just going to call it, God has a plan for your life. <clears throat> and Brother Patrick, did you also, I don't want the picture now, but I sent a picture to you also. Okay, that'll be for later. Thank you very much. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen, you may be seated. After the days of Joshua, the Israelites had been under the rule of judges. We have a whole book named for that era. Judges raised up by God to meet emergencies that arose primarily because of the sinfulness of the people and idolatry of the people. The Bible talks about the day of Judges, and I just mentioned it in passing. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. Saul was raised in that kind of culture, where everybody just did what they thought was right, what they felt was right. No one really sought the Lord to see what the Lord said and until they'd get in trouble. And then when they'd get in trouble, they'd cry out to God. And when they'd cry out to God, God would send a leader called a judge and, and he would bring the word of God to them and they would straighten out for a while and then they'd go back to their old ways. But Saul was raised in that kind of an atmosphere, in that kind of a culture. I have to stop right now. Father, I pray for our nation I pray for the United States of America right now. God, America needs your touch. And I pray for our nation right now. And this church prays for our nation. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. So, Saul, having been sent by his father after some strayed donkeys... 
Saul went with his servant through the mountains of Ephraim, through Shalish, uh, Shalishha and Shalem, and after that through the land of Benjamin. And he couldn't find his dad's donkeys. Saul determined to return home. He was concerned now that his father would worry about him, but his servant looked at Saul and he said, well, why don't we just go and consult with the man of God, Samuel? And maybe Samuel can tell us where to find these beasts that have strayed. And so it was. The man of God, Samuel, had already been informed by God that Saul was coming. I, I thank God that we serve the living God. When Charlie Mahaney was here, or maybe it's somewhere else that I heard him, or he was talking with me, I don't know how I remember it, but he was thinking about going into polemic debating, formal debates, debating biblical doctrine. He thought, I'll just check with the man of God. So he picked up the phone and he dialed the number for T.W. Barnes. Brother Barnes picked up the phone. He didn't say hello. He said, stay away from those debates, son. I think sometimes we forget that we serve the living God. That the God we serve is not just a, a God far off, but a God who speaks to his people as he always did. Holy men of old spake as they were moved on by the Holy Ghost, and that has not changed. So when Saul and his servant come walking up to the place where Samuel was, Samuel met him and told him he had been waiting for him. And he invited him to a feast that he had already prepared. And he said, and by the way, the donkeys have been found. Before Saul even had a chance to tell him he was looking for his dad's animals, he said, don't worry, those, those donkeys you were looking for, they've already been found. Early the next day, they all got up and Saul and Samuel were alone for a bit. And before Saul knew what was going on, Samuel takes out a flask of oil, pops the cork, and pours it on Saul's head and says these words, has not the Lord anointed you a ruler over his inheritance? This anointing was not given publicly. Anointings are not usually given publicly. Anointings are usually given privately. If I have to tell somebody about my anointing, it's not the real anointing. I say that because we live in an age of deception and delusion. The anointing, when given in secret, will make itself known. A man's gift will make room for itself and, and bring him before kings. God has a plan for your life. And Saul's anointing would become evident to the whole nation in a very short time. To confirm the consecration that Saul had been indeed anointed of God, Samuel said, there's three things that's going to happen to you on your way home today. I'm just preaching what the Lord laid on my heart. Here we go. He said, there's three things that are going to happen to you on your journey home. Now notice, that, that really stuck out to me, on your journey home. How many's on a journey he said, there's three things. He said, number one, you will meet messengers who will tell you that your father is sorrowing and weeping and repenting. 
Number two, you will meet three men on their way to Bethel. And they will give you loaves of bread. And number three, you will come to the hill of God. Now look, this is the prophet talking to this man, this young man, before he leaves the house. He said, you will come to the hill of God where there will be a garrison of Philistines. And there you will meet a company of prophets who will be, will be worshiping God with musical instruments. Now get it. And while they are worshiping God, praising God, the phenomenal power of the prophetic will begin to move in a mighty way. So much so that the prophetic gift of God will fall upon you, Saul. It will be so strong upon you that you will become another man. A new, a bold, an enabled, a powerful man. You will be equipped to do the unique and special mission that God has specifically and especially for you and you alone. And just as the man of God said, when Saul started on his journey home, Bingo. Number one, messengers met him and said, your dad is weeping. He's forgot about the donkey. He's, he, he's concerned about you. He's sorrowing and repenting that he ever sent you out. You've been gone three days. Saul said, wow, that man of God, he was correct. He walks on his journey home and he meets three men. Whoa. And they're on their way to Bethel, the hill of God, or the house of God as Bethel is defined. And they look at him and they said, I don't know why we're doing this, but here's a couple of loaves of bread. He said, that's the second sign. And then he came to Bethel, the hill of God, the, the house of God, on his way home. You need to visit Bethel on your way home. And he comes to the hill of God, and there is a garrison of Philistines, just like Samuel had said, on the hill of God. And coming down from the hill, he sees these prophets shaking tambourines, uh, playing musical instruments, uh, and singing praises to God. And he's watching uh, with awe as they're coming down and playing stringed instruments, tambourines, and flutes. And the Bible said they were prophesying. That means they were speaking and singing under the influence of God, of course. They're speaking and singing under the influence, divine influence, divine inspiration. You could feel something holy in the air. There was an aura of the spectacular that was around them at this moment. And all of a sudden, Saul, who was a quiet man, and we know this from studying scripture, that he was a man at this point in his life so humble and so private that when they came to proclaim him king later, he would hide under some stuff. A very private, reserved individual. He's standing watching these prophets playing and singing and worshiping God. And all of a sudden, Saul, who was a quiet, humble, and private man, And as they're singing and worshiping, suddenly a whoop came out of the mouth of this very private, bashful, shy man. A hallelujah came out of his lips. And before he knew what was happening, he found himself under the influence of God. Words that were not his own began to come out of his mouth. 
I'm in the Bible right now. Words that proceeded from God himself as he began to prophesy. That means God had control of his tongue. That means God was speaking through him. And the curious onlookers marveled. I'm reading from the scripture. The, the onlookers marveled. And they begin, and, and the Bible says, I'll read it to you. 1 Samuel 10 and 11. And it came to pass when all that knew him beforehand, before time, saw that. Behold, he prophesied among the prophets. Then the people said one to another, what is this that has come unto the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? Something began to happen while they were worshiping God. It, it kind of went out from the prophets and it got on him. And, and he didn't intend to do it that day, but he found himself beginning to, his feet begin to go and, and, and his tongue began to speak and his mouth began to stammer. And he found himself speaking things that he had intended to say that were of divine origins. Remarkable. The influence of God came strongly upon Saul, fulfilling the prophecy of Samuel, the man of God, who had said, remember, before he left Samuel's house, and the Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with them, and shall be turned into another man. He didn't go to prophesy, but he left prophesying. He didn't go to, to feel this uh, unusual fervor and power of God, but while the people of God were praising God in the Spirit, something got a hold of him, and he found himself joining them. And this unusually quiet and shy man suddenly found himself uh, dancing and speaking under the divine influence. And the Bible said he was instantly turned into another man. Old things were passed away. All things became new. He began to feel like a new man. He began to act like a different person. He was no longer the man he had been just moments before. The Bible even goes further and says that God gave Saul another heart. Begin to write his laws upon the tables of Saul's heart. God changed Saul's heart. The light living Bible says that God gave him a, a new attitude. I'm preaching to somebody right now that if you'll just listen to me for a few moments, uh, you came here with one attitude, you're going to leave with a different attitude. You came with one heart, you're going to leave with a different heart. You came here discouraged, uh, you're going to leave here encouraged. Uh, you came here with the mundane on your mind, you're going to leave with the supernatural on your mind. The Bible tells us that God did all of this in the space of one single day. I know the devil's trying to tell you that the trial you're in is indefinite, that it's going to last over and over and go on and on ad nauseum. I know the devil's trying to tell you that the battle you're in is an unending battle, and that it will never get better. It's only going to get worse. But I have news for somebody. As God was speaking to me yesterday in my place of prayer, God began to say, tell them I can change it all in one single day. Tell them I can change it all in one day. I can bring that trial to an end. In one day, I can bring joy where there was sorrow. In one day, I can bring sanity where there was insanity. In one day I can cause them to rejoice. I like the fact that our God is so miraculous that he can do it in one day. Well, what does this all have to do with me? Somebody asked everything. This is not just a, a bedtime story put in the Bible for you to read before you go to sleep. You may be working 
today doing the mundane. That's what Saul was doing. No excitement, dull, monotonous duty, looking for some stray donkeys, boring. I want you to ask yourself a question. You came here today not because you just decided to pay a visit. You didn't know it, but God brought you here today. I want you to ask yourself this question. How much of eternity is in what I am doing? How much of eternity is in what I am doing? I am preaching to somebody that God has a better plan. God has a plan for your life, and it's a better plan than you have. For I know your thoughts that I think towards you. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. You don't have to worry. Your God knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly. Saul, while you're looking for those donkeys, uh, God's already spoke to the man of God. Those donkeys have already been found. The mundane stuff that you're worried about, God's already got it under control. You just need to turn your attention to God and realize that no matter where you are, what you're doing, God has a plan for your life. Once again, we live in a culture where everybody is doing that which is right in their own eyes. Well, I think this is right for me, or I think this is what I would like to do. It's a culture where every man is doing what is right in his own eyes and not allowing God to give direction. Going how you as an individual feel about things. I am convinced that in my place of prayer yesterday, that I am speaking to someone who has a special calling upon your life. The reason the devil is fighting so hard against you, he does not want you to complete the mission that God has called you, and you're the only one that can do the mission that you have been called for. It is a unique mission. God has something far more exciting in your life than chasing donkeys. God is just waiting for you to spend some time in a secret place of prayer. He wants to pour a very special anointing upon you. This, uh, this job will not be accomplished by how well-spoken you are, how intellectual you are, or even how much you have an education you have. And I'm all for those things. This mission will not be decided by your common sense or by your ability to discern good from evil. This mission will be decided by the anointing. The anointing will destroy the yoke that's upon your life. And that anointing has got to be poured out upon you and there is nowhere no place for it to be poured out except in your secret place of prayer and some people have lost their place of prayer they don't even have a place to pray anymore but God is waiting for you and when you show up he's going to say I was waiting for you I expected you today I have a special anointing for your life you see, the Bible says that you weren't just to be born. And again, what Chris mentioned a few weeks ago now, that dash between the birth and death on the tombstone. God did not want you just to waste that little dash. Tell me, have you ever gone to a local cemetery and read the names on the tombstones? How many did you know? Almost zero. But some of them were well known in their day. And some of them have not been gone very long, but they have been forgotten. Only what you do for Christ will last. How much of eternity is in what you're doing? Oh, but 
Pastor, I'm doing this. I'm not knocking. You're doing some good stuff. But how much eternity is in what you're doing? God has called you to be a king and a priest. The Bible says, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Are you still with me? There's something holy in this place right now. Something, something just getting on me right now. And, and it's something good. Don't worry. It's not. Well, I think it's contagious. I think it's going to spill out on you in just a moment. Saul, I'm going to give you three signs that's going to happen to you on your journey home. You're going to come to the sign of sorrowing and repentance. You're going to come to the sign of bread, and somebody says, what's that mean? Well, let me just put it to you this way. The New Testament says that he might sanctify us and cleanse, sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. There it is again. Washing of water by the word. Come on. According to the word. Washing of water according to the word. By the word. Of the word. New things you learn every day if you're listening. You're going to come to three things on your way home, Saul. You're on your way home. The first thing, you're going to meet somebody sorrowing and repenting. The second thing, you're going to get some bread. And the New Testament says that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. The word is symbolized by bread. And the Bible says you're washed by water by the word. A little take on that you might not have seen, but you can also say according to the word. So the second sign really has to do with bread, but it also has to do with water. And the third sign, you're going to meet some people and they're going to be under divine influence and they're going to be speaking things that, that's not their own. They're going to be saying words that's not their own. It will be divine utterance. And so here in the story of Saul, I have repentance. I have water baptism. I have divine influence of speaking words that are not your own. I never saw that before. Some of you Bible scholars probably have. The man of God poured the vial of oil upon Saul's head. Come here, Alexander. We have to give them a... You've got your hair all nice and combed and everything. Saul's standing there, and the old man of God walks up and pours oil on his head, which is symbolic of the anointing. Young man, I'm pouring the anointing of God upon you to do a special work for God. I didn't call you up here to embarrass you. I called you up here to anoint you. In the name of Jesus, be anointed. And he didn't just put a few drops. The Bible said he poured the vial of oil upon Saul's head. We don't need just a little tiny, see my tie, tie my tie. We don't need just a few little words that God gave us when we got the Holy Ghost 30 years ago. We need to let God pour oil upon our heads. We need to pray until divine utterance comes. We need to pray until we're speaking of the influence of God.
The longer you go without speaking in tongues, the longer you go without praying in the Spirit, the more carnal you're going to get and the more disoriented and out of the will of God you will become. You need your head examined by the Holy Ghost. Let God pour divine oil upon your thinking to the, do the job that God has called. Listen, a plumber can do the job of a carpenter, but a pipe wrench makes a horrible hammer. And he's going to bust his fingers and he's going to be frustrated because he is not equipped to do the job of a carpenter. He's equipped to do the job of a plumber. And some of you that are getting ready to start out in life and you're going to go out and you're going to try to do whatever you want to do. But you're going to be one frustrated person because God has uniquely and divinely gifted you to do the mission he called you to do. Not what you want to do, but what he wants you to do. And a carpenter can become a mediocre plumber or a plumber can become a mediocre carpenter. But when you get the carpenter doing what he is gifted to do and the plumber doing what he's been gifted to do, they can do excellent. The last thing you want to be is a jack of all trades, master of none. People file by your casket. You don't want them saying he did a pretty good job at this and he did a pretty good job at that and he did a pretty good job at this and he did a pretty good job at that. It's all over. You're done. But if somebody could walk up and say, that man, he... The field that God placed him in, he was the most excellent in that job I have ever known in my life. I shall never forget. Excuse me, my friend is touching me right now. I've got to to worship him for a moment. I love you, Jesus. I just want to do your will. I just want to serve you. I just want to be in the center of your will, God. I want to do your work. But you can't do what you're supposed to do in life unless you do it by the anointing. And the anointing has poured out upon you. And you can't go by just one little tiny blessing just because you got the Holy Ghost a year ago or 10 years ago. You need to ask God for a fresh oil upon your life. David said, I shall be anointed with fresh oil. I need the fresh oil of God. I want it poured out upon me. I found out a few weeks ago, you can't do the work of God by your own strength. I was reminded again that unless God helps me, I can't do this. You will come to a time in your life when you will realize that you cannot accomplish that which needs to be accomplished by your own strength. You're going to need God's supernatural power to come to you. If you want to be a person that's always going out and doing the mundane and chasing the donkeys, you can do that and waste your whole life. Or you can become that person that God has called you to be through the power of the anointing of the Spirit of God. You see, here's something that young people especially have a hard time understanding. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. And the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I felt the Lord impress me to pronounce a blessing upon you today. I'm not into the cursing thing, but I am into the blessing thing. 
And I just went, as I begin to proclaim these blessings, anything that you want to receive, you respond in whatever way you think you should. Or if you want to pass it to somebody else, just be silent and don't react at all. But I come to somebody today to say, all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Blessed shall thou be in the city, and blessed shall thou be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of thy body, and the fruit of thy ground, and the fruit of thy cattle and the increase of thy kind, and the flocks of thy sheep. Blessed shall be thy basket and thy store. Blessed shalt thou be when thou comest in, and blessed shalt thou be when thou goest out. The Lord shall cause thine enemies that rise up against thee to be smitten before thy face. They shall come out against thee one way and flee before thee seven ways. The Lord shall command the blessing upon thee in thy storehouses and in all that thou settest thine hand unto. And he shall bless thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. The Lord shall establish thee as a holy people unto himself. He has sworn unto thee, if thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God and walk in his ways. And all the people of the earth shall see that thou art called by the name of the Lord. And they shall be afraid of thee. And the Lord shall make thee plenteous in goods. In the fruit of thy body. In the fruit of thy cattle in the fruit of thy ground, in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers to give thee. The Lord shall open unto thee his good treasure, the heaven to give the rain unto thy land in his season, and to bless all the work of thine hand. And thou shalt lend unto many nations, and shalt not borrow. And the Lord shall make thee the head, and not the tail. And thou shalt be above only, and thou shalt not be beneath, if that thou hearken unto the commandments of the Lord thy God, which I command thee this day to observe and to do them and thou shalt not go aside from any of the words which I command thee this day to the right hand or to the left or to go after other gods to serve them. I'm going to tell a story right now that I have told before one other time in this church. It was unusual then. It's still an unusual, very unusual, but true story. And it is designed for someone particularly that is listening today. Are you ready? Lori and Bart Bledsoe were a young married couple. Lori knew what it was like to grow up and never feel a part of any single community. Or neighborhood. Because of her dad's job, her family relocated every year. This had produced some grief and insecurity in her life. Deep inside, she had always wished that she could stay in one place where she could have had deep, lasting friendships, but she never said anything to her parents. She didn't want to hurt them. Yet sometimes she wondered if even God could keep track of her and her family. As a young married woman, one summer evening, as Lori and her husband Bart glided on their front porch swing, suddenly Bart blurted out, Did I ever tell you that dude won the World Racking Horse Championship? The first time her husband Bart had ever told her about his horse, Dude, Lori knew their bond had been special. Bart had grown up, you see, on a 100-year-old family farm in Tennessee, and he loved animals. But Dude, the chestnut-colored quarter horse Bart had received when he turned nine was his all-time favorite. You can put my picture up there now. That's not Dude. That's not Bart. That's me at 12 years old. And that's the horse. It was my favorite horse. 
He was a big boy, wasn't he? I rode him everywhere. Always bareback. Always with just a bridle. Dude, the chestnut colored quarter horse Bart had received when he turned nine was his all time favorite. Years later, Bart's dad sold Dude while Bart was away working on a construction job. And in all fairness, Bart's dad figured his son would, wouldn't be riding anymore, and he sold without asking. You see, Bart's dad ran a horse farm and bought and sold horses. That was his job. Bart never told his dad, but he grieved the loss of his horse named Dude. Lori had no knowledge of horses, and she asked, he said, Honey, what's a, what's a racking horse? Bart said, Racking is a, a kind of dancing horses do. It takes a lot of training. Dude was the greatest racking horse ever. Bart missed his horse. He always wondered if dude missed him. One afternoon, while Lori was walking through the pasture, a strange thought came to her, and in her heart, she thought she heard a quiet voice say, Lori, find dude for your husband, Bart. How absurd, she thought. She knew nothing about horses, certainly not enough to find and buy one. That was Bart's department, and the harder she tried to dismiss the thought, the stronger it grew. She didn't dare mention it to anyone but God, and each day she asked God about it. Well, it was on a Saturday morning, three weeks after the first fine dude notion, a new meter reader, Mr. Parker, stopped by while Laura was working in the garden. They struck up a friendly conversation, and when he mentioned he'd once bought a horse from Bart's dad, Lori interrupted, uh, you don't by any means remember the name of that horse. He said, I sure do. The horse's name was Dude. I paid $2,500 for that horse. Lori wiped the dirt from her hands. She jumped up. She was barely catching her breath. Do you know what happened to him? Yep, I sold him for a good profit. Where's he at now? I need to find him, Mr. Parker said. That would be impossible because he'd sold that horse years ago. But he said, I'll, I'll help you look. And so each Friday for almost a year, Lori would phone Mr. Parker to see if his sleuthing had turned up anything. Each week, the answer was the same, nothing. Then one day, Lori's phone rang, and Mr. Parker said, I found him. I found him on a farm in Georgia. A family had bought Dude for their teenage son, but they couldn't do anything with this horse. In fact, they had come to believe that Dude was crazy, maybe even dangerous. Lori called family in Rising Fawn, Georgia, made arrangements to buy Dude for 300 bucks. She kept all of this a secret from Bart, and one Friday she met Bart at the door after work, and she asked him, will you go for a ride with me? She said, I, I have a surprise for you. Bart protested, but he was tired. He didn't want to go. But his wife insisted and said, look, I've already packed a picnic supper. It'll be worth the ride, I promise. He got into her Jeep and drove, and Lori's heart was thumping so fast. She thought it would burst as she chatted about family members and just non-essential stuff. And, and Bart asked, where are we going after 30 minutes of driving. Oh, just a bit further, honey. Just a bit further. Bart sighed. I love you, honey, but I can't believe I let you drag me off. Lori didn't defend herself. She was determined not to ruin it. However, by the time they steered off the main highway and onto a gravel road, Bart was so aggravated at his wife, he stopped talking to her. And she turned off the gravel road to a dirt trail, and Bart glared at her. We're here, Lori said, stopping in front of the, a third fence post. And, here? Where? Lori, have you lost your mind? Lori said, stop yelling and start whistling. What? Whistle like you used to for dude. Just whistle. You'll understand it in a minute. Well, I, I, well, this is crazy. Bart sputtered as he got out of the Jeep, but he whistled. Nothing happened. Oh, God, Lori whispered. Don't let it be a mistake. Do it again. 
Bark. And suddenly over the horizon, a horse came at a gallop. Before Lori could speak, Bart had leaped over the fence. Dude, he yelled, running towards his beloved friend. Lori watched a blur of horse and husband meet like one of those slow motion reunion scenes on a television. Bart hopped, hopped up on his pal, stroking his mane and patting his neck. Immediately, a sandy-haired, tobacco-chewing teenager and his huffing parents crested the hill. Mister, mister, what are you doing? That horse is crazy. Can't nobody do nothing with him. No, Bart boomed. He's not crazy. He's dude. And to the amazement of everyone, at Bart's soft command to the unbridled horse, Dude threw his head high and began racking. As the horse pranced through the pasture, no one spoke. When Dude finished dancing for joy, Bart slid off. And Bart said, I want Dude home. Laurie said, I know. And with tears in her eyes, she told him all the arrangements had been made. We'll come back and get him tomorrow. No, Bart said. He's coming home tonight. I'm not leaving. A phone call to his parents, and they arrived with a truck and a horse trailer. Bart spent the night in the barn. He and dude had a lot of catching up to do. And then it suddenly hit Lori. Listen, I'm coming to the conclusion. It suddenly hit Lori. She had searched for dude longer than she had ever lived in one place. God had used the process of finding her husband's beloved horse to renew her trust in the friend who sticks closer than her brother. And that night, she fell asleep, whispering, Thank you, Lord, for never losing track of dude or me. presence of God is in this house and I know that's a strange story to end a Sunday morning message with but I'm preaching to somebody that God loves you so very much and you need to remember that he has a better plan for your life he has a special plan for you you have unique you have unique abilities and temperament and personality and God has for you a very special plan you need to put your trust in him up for me now. Like a babe when it cries for its mother. Like a child I was helpless darkness I had longed 
I had searched for the light. Then I met the Master.
since he found me a new day broke through all around me oh for i met the master I've seen the faithfulness of God